there's just no support. There's just not enough support at all. And I feel like that's not our job. Our society is supposed to, you know, focus on people with disabilities and include them. It's all about inclusion. And I just feel like, what are we doing? This is, this is regressing. Hello and welcome to Girls With Goals. My name is Neve Mar. Thank you so much for joining us as usual this week. My guest this week is a remarkable young woman. Aoife P. Rafter is a cystic fibrosis and cervical cancer advocate. She's also a writer, a speaker and a blogger. Uh, Aoife, you're so welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Neve. Great to be here. So I suppose for any of our listeners who who haven't been following your journey and, and don't know about you, would you be able to take us back a little bit and tell us a little bit about your history? Yeah, sure. Um, I often like don't even know where to start sometimes. <laughs> um, I suppose I was born with a life-threatening lung disease called cystic fibrosis. Um, CF is a really big, massive disease here in Ireland. We have the highest rate per capita in the world. Um, one in 19 people are carriers. Yeah. So I actually wasn't diagnosed until I was almost 10. Um, I was just like a sick kid, I suppose. They always told me I had severe asthma and I was quite thin. Yeah. And I suppose it wasn't until my two sisters came along and they were younger, obviously, and passed me out um, that my mum was like, OK, something's definitely not right here. Yeah. <laughs> so we followed that up when I was diagnosed. Um on the day of 9-11 actually um so from there I suppose my health hasn't been so bad like on and off few hospitalizations you know didn't do a great leaving sir did my best to get through it um got into college and DIT and um kind of did a course that I really didn't want to do I always wanted to do social care um because as cringy as it might sound I've always felt like I wanted to do something that made a difference um, in some sort of a positive way. And I think that's where my urge kind of started to come from, that I wanted to work with people and help um, other people in vulnerable situations. So um, I then left my DIT course and did, you know, the slow track routes to become a social care worker. And I did that for a good few years before I um, went off traveling to Australia for about a year and a half. Um, The plan was to stay two years. Um, I was living in beautiful Bondi Beach. It was so fantastic for my lungs and the salt air and the dry climate. My lung function was like in the 90% and it was just like fantastic. I was really well um, until kind of towards the end of my stay and I got unwell with um, a very serious CF bug that I was doing my best to um, avoid growing up. Um, and I ended up contracting that. So I was sick with my chest and I was admitted into hospital in um, Australia. Mm. And then I was also having these gynecological issues um, at the very same time. So I like I literally just got such a double whammy and realized, yeah. OK, I need to go home. I'm not well. Um, so I had had a unscheduled smear test in Australia. Um, I had my smear test in Ireland before I left for Australia, but at that time, Ireland didn't detect for HPV in our smear test, but it did in Australia, yeah. um, thankfully. So I kind of ended up getting diagnosed, I suppose, with cervical cancer in the best way possible as I missed, you know, the cervical check scandal and crisis back here at home. Yeah. And I was diagnosed from my doctor uh, via email from Australia the day that I landed home in Ireland. Um, 
So it was a bit mad. Yeah, um, I, I mean, like, if I just, even the way that you kind of ex- explained it all there, it's almost, it's almost like minimizing to even be talking about this in such, in such a kind of a, a way that we're talking about it. Because I mean, that to be dealing with something like cystic fibrosis, I feel like, especially in Ireland, it's so odd that there, there's such a huge amount of people who suffer from it here. But I also feel like people kind of, because of that, not take it for granted, but don't understand how debilitating that condition actually is for your day-to-day life. And I suppose we're going to talk about that a little bit later because, of course, you know, we're throwing a pandemic into all of this as well. Um, but, like, before your cancer diagnosis, you know, being in Australia and traveling and stuff like that, I mean... Was it something that, you know, uh, really did have an impact on your day-to-day life? And I suppose, how can people understand that more? Yeah, I mean, yeah, cystic fibrosis, like, God, it's it's horrendous. Um, there are so many different genetic strains of cystic fibrosis. And for some reason, it seems to be this Celtic gene. It goes back to the Celts and the Celts were massive carriers of this gene um my parents didn't know anything about cystic fibrosis when they met and it wasn't in our families despite it being her a hereditary illness um so we didn't know anything about it and I was that late as well being diagnosed that there was a lot of scar tissue in my lungs that had formed and unfortunately is irreversible um but I have to say for some god unknown reason i seem to have won the cf lottery in some way that my genes are actually quite uncommon i don't have a very common form of cystic fibrosis so it's not until my latter years now that i have really felt the massive impact it's having on my life with treatments and i had obviously a lot of admissions with both my cf and my cervical cancer last year and i spent more time i think in hospital than i did at home and yeah it's just just, it's very debilitating and exercise is a massive part of our um, physiotherapy to remove that um, mucus. So it's basically like having really thick, 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 sticky mucus around most of your organs, but particularly your reproductive system, your lungs and your digestive system. So um, also we have very fast metabolism. So we struggle to absorb nutrients um, and fat the same way that a healthy person might. So we need lots of calories and extra protein and that kind of thing. Um, But this sticky mucus is food for bacteria. So when a bacteria gets into our lungs, and obviously we are a little bit more susceptible to that, it's just so hard to remove and to kill. Um, A lot of the bugs are just so resistant to IV antibiotics and oral antibiotics and inhaled antibiotics um, that it just becomes a losing battle sometimes and lots of people go for lung transplants and all the rest. Um, But it is a very exciting time right now in the CF community. We are literally seeing miracles happen in front of us. The research, I mean, for any charity, if anyone is ever fundraising, like research, 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 Research. Yeah. The amazing drugs that have come out of the research in the latter years now. I was on. I've been on the first one, and um, that kind of came out. That's called Ivacafter, and I'm on that now. Um, seven years, nearly eight years since I'm 21, and that's been life changing. And there's been right. even more fantastic ones for a lot more people since then. So it is an exciting time, despite it being such a debilitating illness. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, so I, I suppose kind of like going back to the, the diagnosis, I mean, any cancer diagnosis, absolutely uh, a devastating thing to go through. Um, I suppose the fact that you were home must have been, you know, a, a blessing in disguise that you that you came home at the time that you did so that you could be with your family. So can you talk us through a little bit about, you know, uh, the treatment plan that you, that you went through? And yeah, I mean, how you dealt with that in general? Yeah, yeah sure. Um well, I was having a lot of funny symptoms and I suppose with being on long-term medications and having an illness that is so complex and affects the reproductive system and everywhere else, I put most of my symptoms and aches and pains down to some sort of a CF thing, yeah. um, which was like blindly ignorant, really. Um, I was having heavy discharge. I was having pain during sex. I was having lots of pelvic pain. And it wasn't until I remember sitting in one of the girls' apartments in Australia and she was telling me about a gynecological issue she had and her main <coughs> excuse me um symptom was this pelvic pain and I said geez I didn't really know that that was you know I didn't think connect the two that that was a gyne thing with your yeah. ovaries and everything being down there located in your pelvic area I just didn't think of it so that kind of pushed me to get my second smear test um and the smear test came back positive for HBV but actually because of the location of my tumour um, the cancer was actually undetectable so it came back as no abnormal smears but positive for HPV type 18 so I wasn't sure by that first smear that like I was going to have a cancer diagnosis at all I, I didn't yeah. think I'd be that unfortunate to have two bloody diseases yeah. um, but then when I was diagnosed, um, it was quite an urgent plan that was pushed on me to have a radical hysterectomy, which removed everything apart from my ovaries, basically. So my uterus, my fallopian tubes um, and the top of my vagina, just to really try and remove those margins for recurrence. Um so then I had a successful surgery, thank God, and it removed all of that cancer that was there. Um, but my teams, CF and cancer teams, weren't really satisfied with my chance of recurrence. Um, so the plan was to do precautionary radiotherapy. So I did 25 sessions five days a week um, over December of pelvic radiotherapy, which really like comes it was fine I did fly through it thanks to my age and all the rest but like there, that really comes with massive massive long-term side effects that I'm really just kind of feeling now yeah. um so like the road the journey's not over by any means absolutely I mean a massive hysterectomy like that like everything that you just explained as well just for our listeners um just obviously you know having children and, and things like that I mean did any of that kind of come into your head but or was it just about you know doing what you needed to do in order to get yourself healthy again yeah it's funny you definitely are in a bit of a fight or flight situation and yeah. you know fighting your health every day during cancer um obviously like your life is completely on pause you're writing off that time that year and um, because your purpose and duty every day is to get up and go to treatment or you know just get up and feed and neutralize or sorry um nutritionize yourself and all yeah. that kind of thing um so I suppose it didn't massively enter my head as much as it might be 
now that I'm processing everything. Um, yeah. I did get to freeze some eggs um, before I started my radiotherapy, which is awesome, obviously. Um, but like that, you know, at, with what I have produced um, in the IVF clinic, I only have about a 25% chance of success from the number I kind of um, got from that. So, I mean, it's hard. I'm 28. It's hard. Um it's just a difficult time. Like I am kind of thinking about that a lot more recently. And yeah. I talk about that on Instagram. I, I probably overshare sometimes. But. Not at all. I mean, I think, I think the fact, the way that you share your story is absolutely incredible. And I suppose like how I kind of came to learn more about your journey was because, you know, we were both at, a, at an event recently and you were talking about um, menopause. And I suppose, you know, that in itself to be, to be going through something like that due to something that you've been through. I mean, menopause is something that obviously every woman goes through but it's not something that you're thinking about at 28 and I mean I that's what really kind of you know it, it just struck a chord with me because like having to go through everything and then you know you're throwing menopause on top of that as well I mean it, it is it is a lot but I mean for you personally Aoife has sharing your story helped? Oh god like so much more than I could have imagined. I think once you open that door, you just, everything floods through. Like the opportunities and the love and the support is endless and connecting with people that are in the same situation and, you know, being able to answer questions for them that nobody could answer for me, I suppose. It's just amazing to try and turn that negative thing into a, um, a positive situation with a positive outcome. And it's kind of therapeutic. Like I process a lot while I, you know, talk these things through or write yeah. these things through. And it's just an amazing thing to be able to do. But it's weird. I felt like the day I was diagnosed, as much as mad awful negative things ran through my head I obviously thought right this is it I'm going to die this is it like I went to those dark places but there was something in me that just knew all right I'm supposed to share this as well as what I've been doing sharing my CF and sharing my life in Australia I'm supposed to share this too this is what I'm supposed to do and I just went with it and it's been so rewarding I think like you know when I've when I've <laughs> spoken to people who have these stories to share it all kind of like it definitely has semblances between each other you know like they people have said to me in the past that when they share the story you know it's it's about reaching people and I suppose you know obviously I don't want to put words in your mouth but I suppose if people can listen to your story and if they can kind of feel any comfort in you know the situation that they're in themselves then obviously that's really helping people as well I suppose yeah, that's it. And I definitely do get, I've been lucky, like I've received so much positive feedback from anything I've written for um, magazines or, you know, anything I've done online with my own blog or my own Instagram. Like it's all positive feedback. I've been so lucky. Um, so that definitely is my push and keeps yeah. me going because I know it's helping a couple of people and encouraging girls to get their smears and to just learn and become in tune with your body. Like stop ignoring these aches and pains. You know, my message is always, you know, your health is your responsibility. It's not the do doctors. It's not anyone else's. You know your body the best. You just have to listen to it and it will tell you what's wrong. But Absolutely. we just don't do that.
I feel um, like as well, like gynecological issues in particular in Ireland. And I know like, I mean, I have to put my hand up. I, I've i been really bad at it in the past. You know, like I was definitely one of those women who put off the smear test because like, let's be honest as well, you know, it's uncomfortable. They're not, they're not an enjoyable experience that everybody <laughs> wakes up and goes, oh, I'm so excited to have my smear test today. Like, absolutely not. I feel like, you know, for for women, you're dead right. We do have to take that responsibility upon ourselves because if we look at the history, even in Ireland, you know, gynecological yeah. services in this country have never been good. And it is up to us. If you feel like something is not right in your body, what's the worst that can happen? You go to the doctor and they tell you that you're 100% okay, but you'll rest easier at night, you know? Yeah, you're so right. Like, and you like, you've taken the thoughts just from my own head. Like, yeah. it's so true. Like, even health in general is historically male dominant and we've always had like male doctors male GPs like from like from early on and like only now are we seeing female GPs kind of becoming that more dominant role but then again like put that into consultants for an illness then put that into specialized consultants for gynecological illnesses like it's the information and the support is just not there for menopause fertility it's still not really talked about enough and that's why I do talk about it because this is normal and only now that I've gone through what I've gone through in my late 20s am I realizing like Jesus the amount of young girls and older women of course that are going through these fertility issues and we just don't talk about them and it's that whole like I am probably the worst my mom will be cringing now that I'm giving out about the church as usual but (laughs) there is do it Eva let it go (laughs) there is that like subservient like catholic kind of ethos thrown into that realm of fertility issues and why we don't talk about them I feel anyway um and I just see like Jesus 2020 and that attitude is still really prevalent and we need this conversation and we need more young women to be talking about it as much as they're talking about what tan is in fashion this month 100% couldn't agree more I feel like as well like just kind of speaking about 2020 when we when we think about you know what normal is and almost you know trying to kind of hammer home those conversations that we should normal you know, we can't look at this year and think that anything is normal, of course. Like I know mm-hmm. that back in um in the summer, you know, you were you were speaking a little bit about how you had to cocoon yourself. I mean, obviously with with the health uh, situations that you've been through and that you were going through at the beginning of this pandemic, you know, it was really dangerous for you. So can you can you tell us a little bit about how that was? And obviously now, you know, we're back in level five across the country. It feels like it's never ending. But and, yeah. and of course, you know, we, we want this to be positive and we obviously, you know, want this to be about information and, and you know, spreading your story. That is such a crucial element to it. But it must have been tough for you as well. So can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, so I did have to cocoon and isolate for 17 weeks. Um, So since moving home from Australia, I'm back with my mom and her husband and my younger sister and our four mad dogs um, in a housing estate. We don't have a big mansion. (laughs) Um, So we, yeah, I I totally isolated. Um, So my younger sister, Maeve, the middle girl, she bought a house there um, last year. So she moved out. So I was very lucky with the timing. I got to kind of 
have a living space from her old bedroom and I kind of put like a telly and um, a little like sofa bed in there. So I've really invested into that now through isolation. I've got, I had to really stop being downstairs in the family shared areas so much. Um, I ate my meals upstairs. I bought a little kettle and mini fridge from Amazon and I just tried to stay away from people as much as I could. Um, It was hell. It was absolute torture. I had only finished my radiotherapy in January and I started to get my life back together. I started dating a lovely person that um, he lives in Wexford and like we barely were just getting to know each other and this pandemic just threw my life off course yet again and I had to deal with all of these thoughts and feelings from what I'd gone through, the trauma I'd gone through and it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, my mental 17 health. Weeks, like, 17 weeks, Aoife. 17 weeks. Wow. <laughs> so and I mean, yeah, mind. that's that's just shocking. And I know that it was hard for a lot of people, but I mean, you know, there's a difference between, you know, even being able to go out and, and go and like, you know, when at the beginning I went and kind of visited my parents, but obviously I didn't go into the house and I was out in the garden waving and kind of following all yeah. of the protocols that we were meant to, to follow. But I mean, your situation, yeah, I know that you were just about to kind of talk about it. How was that on your mental health? Like, oh my God, it was just awful. I just awful. Um, I processed a lot, but I fell into dark holes. I I couldn't get up some days. I had no purpose to get up. I would be upset from processing some things. And my mom or my sister couldn't even just give me a bloody hug. Um, I was away from my boyfriend for 17 weeks. Um, And I just felt like, what the hell? Like, come on. (laughs) I mean like I know we're kind of laughing but it almost feels as if like if you don't go go through that kind of uh, you know process of it what 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 other options do you have you know so I mean that's it laugh or cry that's it um but obviously you know that must I can't I can't even imagine like unimaginable but you know you got through it I'm presuming that um now uh, you're not cocooning as much anymore, but uh, it's still kind of a, a, a shitty situation for everybody, I suppose. I mean, were there moments when you were angry, Aoife, at like, you know, when you saw people kind of not taking things seriously and almost flouting the rules that were being put down by the government? Because obviously we've seen all the videos, we've seen the house parties, you know, we've read the reports. And I feel like when I'm speaking to somebody like you who's who have been through and is going through these health issues, you know, that's the reason why we are sticking to the guidelines, you know, like that's that's what I feel about it anyway. But I mean, how was that for you? Was there was there anger? Because I feel like I'd be fucking mad, you know? Oh, well, <laughs> just a bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it was really, really hard Um, because at the start, I felt like we as a society, we were putting our vulnerable people right in the centre to protect them by these new regulations and guidelines to have this lockdown to protect people like me. And I mean, the CF community, we were petrified, absolutely yeah. petrified, um, as were the oncology community as well. So... Then when the slip ups and complacency really started to kick in, like, oh, my God, I just well, there were several Instagram rants. I'll say that. Um, yeah. And fair play for anyone that still follows me through all of those rants. 
Um, but I just feel like more so, I feel really concerned because I feel like we are undoing so much work that we have done over decades and centuries by putting people with disabilities, you know, our lives around them and society around them and making changes to enable them to have more abilities and not focus and heighten their disabilities. And now I feel that this kind of advice um, it, for to kind of face, like I feel like we bring advice to kind of yeah. be shunned away and, you know, make our own judgments, book it out of the way so we can all live happy ever after with this virus as best we can. And, there's just no support. There's just not enough support at all. And I feel like that's not our job. Our society is supposed to, you know, focus on people with disabilities and include them. It's all about inclusion. And I just feel like, what are we doing? This is, this is regressing. Yeah, in my it's, it's, it's really interesting. And I feel like this is one of those times in history where, you know, when you're like going through moments and you know that it's a historical moment and you know that history is watching you. I feel like in decades to come, it will be pivotal and we'll all be judged on the way that we all acted. And I feel like it's very simple due to frustrations. I understand how some people, and I've been watching like a few reports and like obviously people are entitled to their opinions. I understand when people get to that point of being so frustrated with the situation that they say, look, if you're sick or if you're elderly, sort yourself out but life has to go on like to a certain extent I understand and I feel like they have the right to say whatever they want free speech and all that but like you know but then I think about people like you and I'm like actually we can't marginalize we who are we to decide okay well if this group of people are more at risk then they need to sort themselves out that is not going to go down well with history do you know like it's an easy thing to, to say right yeah absolutely and I feel like that is just being pushed to the sidelines like no one is saying this no one is highlighting this and that's what makes vulnerable people feel so insignificant and unimportant and unsupported and that's why we are often just subservient and bow down and just go with it at the end of the day people that have been through such awful awful traumas they know how precious and fragile life is and they have simplified their lives and they know what they want to keep happy and content. And that are, that is basic things. This yeah. pandemic probably hasn't actually really affected my routine in life so much by the fact that I can't see my friends and my boyfriend as much as I'd like to. And, you know, obviously embrace with them. But I love being in nature. I love going for walks with my dogs, with my boyfriend. I like taking pictures and uploading them onto content. As for content, I love those simple, simple things, baking a cake or making lunch. That's all I care for, exercising. it's I don't really care for going to the shops. That's not breaking my heart. I don't care yeah. for sitting in a pub or a restaurant. We're having so much more communication and you know really sorting out our relationships better with bonding and drinking at home and actually being able to hear one another and have a chat and have a rant and that kind of thing they're more important to me than the things other people are missing do you feel Aoife do you feel like it's kind of in some ways giving people an insight into 
you know, a, a life that a lot of people lead as it is, you know, I mean, I feel like, like those things that you just mentioned there, you know, like not being able to go to the pub and sit in a, in a crowded, you know, place or yeah. restaurant or whatever. Like for me, you know, I've, I've spoken about this with, with my boyfriend, I've spoken about like, I don't know how much I'm looking forward to it going back to that, you know, like, I don't really know how I'm going to react in those situations. It's definitely put a, it's definitely shone a light for me onto, you know, the important things in life and actually whether or not I enjoy those kind of social situations. But I mean, for you personally, do you kind of feel like it's almost showcasing to other people about the lives that many people lead anyway, and that there are these struggles and these everyday, you know, for, for somebody suffering for CF, for example, you know, they can't go out and about and and, and no. live life the way that they want to live because their entire life has this debilitating aspect to it. That's very true. And it's, it's interesting, like, I feel like I've always known some sort of the lessons that I've learned during cancer from having a life with cystic fibrosis, but like cancer is a whole different ball game for me anyway it really amplified all the lessons that um are so crucial to live life by but for me I've always said since the diagnosis um god I would just love for people to learn what I've learned but in a less invasive manner um and a less terrifying manner now I don't know if that's really happened because we yeah. have got an invasive terrifying <laughs> lesson that we've learned um from but I just I do think a little bit of that has happened um yeah. through COVID not for everybody and that's fine and we do have slip-ups I have slip-ups too that's why when I get sick sometimes I'm like I'm thankful that I'm going in for this hospital admission I've dropped the ball here I haven't been doing my nebulized treatments or haven't been exercising or eating as well as I could that's yeah. just a tune-up we all need a tune-up but I think through lessons have been learned um by some people who have been listening absolutely um before we talk about your blog because I really want to you know give you mm -hmm. that opportunity to talk about it and and get as many people to go and check it out um as we can you are cancer free now is, is that correct you've been through the radiotherapy and I mean like how is your health at this very moment yeah, um, I mean, it's good, obviously, yeah, that the surgery was really successful and it removed anything we saw and the radiotherapy hopefully hopefully zapped any floating cells. Yeah. So my recurrence rate now is about 10% um, going forward. So that's a massive that's relief. Brilliant. That's really, really um, great news. Yeah, I'll be doing another annual scan now soon. Um, just trying to get that scan is the next battle. Obviously, there's a lot of backlog and Absolutely. all the rest. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, my health is quite good at the moment. That's great. And like what we what we mentioned earlier, you know, obviously I, I introduced you as a, a writer, a speaker and a blogger. And, you know, I would implore people to go. We're going to put all the information to where you can find Aoife P. Rafter's blog in the description box below. But tell us a little bit about about the blog and what people can expect if they go and, and check it out. Yeah, um, thanks. Yeah, well, I suppose from all the illnesses and battles I've had, um, there's obviously been a lot of trauma in there too. So yeah. I like to talk about what's helped me through the physical and mental uh, struggles that I've had, which is basically a lot of holistic stuff, um, which isn't everyone's cup of tea, but I do feel like it's it's really making a comeback. Um, so I talk a lot about the fact that I'm doing a diploma in reflexology. Um, I talk about acupuncture. I talk about 
about mindfulness. Um, I have, I'm like every girl I am. Well, not every girl, but I am such a girly girl. I love all things fashion and glam. So I do talk about those things too. It's not all serious. Well, I have um, to say your Instagram anyway, if that's to go by, it's so aesthetically <laughs> pleasing. It puts my Instagram oh, to shame. And I just wish that I could, I don't know. It's just so pretty to look at Aoife as well. Like this is the thing. I mean, I know you spoke about it earlier about the content aspect of it, but you can really tell even from that glimpse, um, you know, that aesthetics are, are obviously very important as well. It really is just, yeah. it's one of those like really nice user experiences, which I appreciate. <laughs> well, I am very glad to hear that because that, that blog is only about two weeks old. So it's really only getting going. <laughs> No, it's but, it's uh, incredible. So like there's loads of information there as well. I suppose like slightly touching on the, you know, mindfulness and the the holistic things that you were mentioning there. Is there is there one thing in particular that has really helped you through through this pandemic? Like obviously, you know, you said yourself there that what you've gone through is completely, you know, it's unimaginable for a lot of people. Um, but I suppose for anybody listening who's kind of going through a tough time themselves, what is the the one thing that's really helped you out? Well, to be honest, I think there's three major things that come into my head and they're quite similar. So one is obviously the reflexology. Um, but I also get acupuncture um, usually once a week and reflexology at the same time. So it's just amazing. The physical, mental, emotional benefits I've had from that. Like, I just wish I'd done it my whole year, my whole life, both of those things. Um, and definitely the CBD oil has helped with my anxieties and it's helped me sleep a little bit better. And it actually kind of helps with some of the menopausal symptoms too. So amazing. definitely would advise anyone to do either three of those are all three of those things incredible and the actual blog for anybody who wants to go and check it out can you give us that address as well yeah sure it's just www.ifapure.com um, and instagram is ifa.p.or i believe um, it is so, indeed yes i'm yeah. looking at it right now <laughs> so, know that a little bit more confidently <laughs> so aesthetically pleasing as well and also Aoife just finally before i let you go um i suppose kind of going back to you know the beginning of our chat and just talking about mm -hmm. you know how very early on you know in in your cancer journey how you had had those pains and, and, you know, there was maybe something, I feel like it's as well, a little bit of an Irish thing that, you know, we do kind of brush things away, but I suppose just for anybody listening, your advice would be just go, you know, like go and check yourself if there is something that just doesn't feel right. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to cause any, you know, further hypochondriacs to be more concerned or heightened, but please do listen to your body. It's amazing. It tells you what's wrong. You just have to slow down and listen to it. Um, and a lot of those things that I talk about on my blog, like the holistic therapies, they help you to slow down and become in tune with your body. Mindfulness, meditation, all of those things, or even just taking a mindful walk with no earphones in, just being aware of what is around you and what's going on inside you. The more you do that, the more you'll realize and be able to listen to what's going on inside. And that will just lead you in the right direction. I think that's really all we have to do. And hopefully people have learned that through this hard pandemic. 
Absolutely. Well, Aoife, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I genuinely feel even more calm just by having this chat with you. And I would implore anybody to go and check out Aoife's blog. Uh, I'm a massive fan of, of the work that you're doing, whether it's, you know, sharing your story and, and also your, your writing as well. So, look, I can't wait to see what you do in the future. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it.